Let's uh, pray as we come to look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Matthew. We thank you for the written accounts we are given of the birth of your son Jesus and his life. And we pray now that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, will speak to each one of us from it. And as we look into the future of the new year, amen. Well, we've, uh, we've had the joy, haven't we, and perhaps the bedlam of Christmas time. Many families being together, much washing up. But uh, despite all of that, uh, we're now coming to look into the new year towards 2019. And of course, however sophisticated we are or we become, we've got no idea what 2019 will bring to us. We don't know what the political life of our country is going to be like, for instance. We don't know what the, our health is going to be like, whether we have good health or poor health. We don't know about what will happen in this church. But we do know that God has a plan, and we, don't, we may well find that God sends his son a second time, to earth in 2019. We just don't know. But throughout Advent and the Christmas season, we have seen that God was at work fulfilling his plan for the future, his plan for the saving of mankind and restoring relationships between God and mankind. Of course, this was through the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We've seen how God has used angels and supernatural events to bring the news to Mary, to Joseph and Zachariah concerning the birth of Jesus and John the Baptist. Well, today we're in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23, what most of us would find rather a difficult account an account of refugees who are fleeing their country looking for a safe place to live. But through it, we also see the continuation of God's plan of salvation. Now, Matthew's Gospel is very much a Jewish account of what is going on, because Matthew was Jewish, and he was writing for Jewish readers And he has great interest in the fulfilment of prophecy because he expects to persuade the Jewish readers by it that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah. And so we get in his gospel frequent references to prophecies. He makes it clear to us that Jesus did not just appear on the scene unexpectedly. No, all along, God has been laying the groundwork for the coming of his Messiah. All along, God has been telling his people to expect the Messiah to come. But what perhaps is a surprise is that the Messiah, not that the Messiah has now come, but he's come in the person of Jesus as a baby in a humble manner. But through this, we can see that God has a plan and God is fulfilling his plan. Now, Matthew is the only gospel account in the Bible that actually gives us this account of the flight to Egypt, the saving of the baby. So it must then be very important to Matthew. He must have something 
to say to us through it. Well, I think we can draw three points from this account concerning how God works what's, and what being a disciple of Jesus actually involves. We see how aspects of Old Testament events are reflected in God's plan of salvation. So my first point is this. God's plan of salvation is a continuation of the Old Testament teaching and prophecy. We see this in uh, several of these verses in our passage. We see this, for instance, in verses 13 and 15. And uh, there's a reference here to Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, we've got several references in this passage in front of us to Egypt. And the picture of Egypt uh, can be seen at different levels. Yes, Jesus, Mary and the baby, Joseph, Mary and the baby Jesus were to flee to Egypt for safety. Egypt was only about 90 miles away from where they were. But most importantly, it lied outside the jurisdiction of Herod, the king. He had no power there, so he couldn't kill the baby. But within the Old Testament, Egypt is seen both as a safe haven, a place of salvation, but also a place of slavery as well. It's geographically relatively close to Israel. But it was a place, if you remember back into the Old Testament, where the nation of Israel had gone to Egypt to escape the effects of hunger, drought and famine. Remember that account of Joseph, how he'd been taken there as a slave and yet he grew up through it and was able to provide for his nation uh, food at their time of famine. We've also, of course, have got the account of Moses who would lead his people from slavery when the Pharaoh changed. And then the whole process of the Exodus, how as the people came to the promised land. And so historically, the people of Israel recognised and celebrated this Exodus, the saving of the nation by God as he led them out of Egypt and across the desert. And so we've got a resonance here, haven't we, to the saving plan of the people of God. And we see this again with reference to prophetic words from Jeremiah 31, verse 15, in in our passage in verse 18. And in verse 23, there's a general reference to prophetic words found in the Old Testament concerning the fact that Jesus will be brought up in Nazareth. So then we have, within this account, a connection between the people of God and God's plan of salvation through his Messiah. We see God in control of this and in control of history. And so whatever happens in 2019, we can take comfort in this, that God has a plan. He fulfills his plan through the birth, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But that this plan will continue throughout history 
until Jesus returns a second time to judge the living and the dead. So my first point then is God shows us his plan of salvation. My second point is this, that God's plan depends upon the obedience of his people. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now there's a lot here that we don't know about because the writer is rather sketchy on the detail concerning this event. He writes that for the second time an angel appears to Joseph in the night and gives him a warning concerning the safety of the baby and the family. And he gives them an instructions of what they are to do. But it's all rather matter of fact, isn't it? We're not told really at all what Joseph thought, what he felt, what were his feelings like when confronted by the angel. Was he frightened by this? Was he frightened by the message? How would we feel if we were given this type of message? Did he doubt, in fact, that this was an angel or not? We just don't know. Try to imagine the situation. How would we have felt? What would our response would have been like to be told by an angel to go and leave your home immediately, not to plan it, not to work out when's the best to go, no, to go immediately. Well, what we see here, of course, is that divine guidance came to Joseph, who had a prepared heart to receive it. And that's something that we can learn from. Because we're told that he responds to these instructions. Look again at verse 14. Again, very little detail given here. Was there a discussion between Joseph and Mary? Try to imagine the situation. Joseph gets up from bed and he tells Mary that he has had a dream and the result of which is a warning concerning the safety of their baby and family. And they have to leave now, right in the middle of the night. Now, of course, we understand that culturally at that time the wife of an Israelite man would have obeyed what he said. But it still must have been a great shock to Mary that they had to leave now to go to another country. So did she ask that they could wait, wait at least until daylight, because that would have been totally reasonable, as travelling on foot with a new baby would have been dangerous and difficult. No, All that we read is that Joseph took action and he took the lead within his family. He immediately got up and taking his family with him, they left to walk the distance to Egypt, about 90 miles, somewhere in the region of seven to ten days walking probably. Well, Joseph, of course, wouldn't have known what the journey would have been like, what it was going to entail, what risks there would have been on that journey. He wouldn't have known what life was going to be like in Egypt, what dangers they would face. Yes, we know that there were some Jewish communities living within the cities of Egypt at that time. But here, 
what we see is that Joseph shows complete trust and obedience to the message sent by God. He completes the tasks sent to him. He gives up the comfort of home and friendships and family, and he sets out for this new land and new life. And so what we're seeing here is that for God's plan of salvation to work, there needs to be obedience by his servant Joseph. And that's an important principle, isn't it, for each one of us here who follow Jesus. We know, don't we, that God is God. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. Therefore, he can fulfill his plan for Norwich without our assistance. However, throughout the Bible and throughout Christian history, we read that God chooses to use people who have prepared hearts open to hearing his instructions and obedient to his call for his kingdom to be extended here on earth. God works through his followers for his plan of salvation to be offered to all. And so, can I suggest to us this morning that for God's plan for Norwich, for this parish, for this church to work in 2019, it will depend upon us hearing God's call, being humble, being obedient, and willing to step out in faith into whatever God calls us to do this year. Joseph, surely, is a good example for us to follow. God worked through the obedience of Joseph. Let us as individuals and collectively as a church hear the calling of Jesus upon us this year. Act in faith, stepping out into the unknown, looking to help God's plan for here today. In faith, prepared to take risks. And so secondly, we've seen that God's plan depends upon his people, not as that slide shows us there. There's no way we're going to turn to Egypt. Let us be obedient too. But thirdly, we see that there is opposition to God's plan. Now, throughout this period of Christmas, we've seen how God has intervened into the world, how God has sent his angels to instruct Joseph, Mary, and Zachariah concerning his plan. We have celebrated and rejoiced with the shepherds and the worship of the wise men. All was going well in this plan. But now, in this passage, we're introduced to the first of the opposition to this plan. We see how evil enters the account of Jesus' birth. And within Matthew's gospel, evil constantly stands in opposition to the purpose of God, as seen through the life of Jesus. Now this opposition comes from a powerful man, King Herod, who was so insecure and demonstrates the effect of sin within his life. And this pattern of opposition of Jesus will follow him throughout his life on earth and also to his message and demands upon humanity throughout history. The opposition reflects the work and nature of the evil one. So look again at verses 13 and 15. Herod has stated to the wise man that he wanted to go and worship the baby like they did. Well, clearly, 
This is a lie. Herod was so insecure concerning his position of kingship that he wanted to get rid of any possible alternative or rival, a king of the Jews. And we know from history that this wasn't, in fact, out of character at all. He was known as a ruthless king who got rid of any possible contenders for the throne, including his own family members. He had killed members of his own family and many other people within this land. In fact, this killing of a relatively small number of boys was small meat for Herod. But his behaviour shows evidence, doesn't it, of the evil one, the father of lives, the devil, who opposed the coming of Jesus as the saviour of the world. Because what the devil wants to do, he wants to prevent mankind having a relationship with God. He wants to oppose Jesus, who through his teaching and actions will go on to teach us how how we can come into God's kingdom. And so, this is serious stuff. Because if the devil can destroy Jesus before he grows into a man and starts his ministry, he will have won a tremendous battle. Such is the seriousness of the situation that God provides a way of escape for the family of Jesus into Egypt. Of course, this won't prevent hardship or pain for the family as they go into Egypt. But God will be with them. He's already provided wealthy gifts from the Magi to help practically with the expenses. And later he will provide a way for them to return to Nazareth, so fulfilling the prophecies in the Old Testament. And so what God is showing us here is that he is ahead in the game. He provides a way for his son to be saved and kept safe. Now, of course, this doesn't answer the difficult question that we all have. Why didn't God save the baby Jesus and not all the rest of the baby boys found in the region of Bethlehem? Why didn't God save those baby boys? Why doesn't God, why does God allow difficult situations in life, illness and persecution, to name just two of them? And of course, this is a real and important question for all of us. Often it's raised by those who are seeking to understand and accept the Christian gospel. Well, I believe it all comes down, doesn't it, to our understanding of the nature of the fallen world the world where sin entered when mankind wanted to be in charge of their own lives and disobey God. Because when God created mankind, he gave humanity the freedom of choice, which, of course, is one of the characteristics that makes us different from the rest of the animal kingdom. We see this, of course, in the Genesis account and the subsequent behaviour of mankind. We read throughout the Old Testament how God calls out to his people to repent of their actions, their lack of obedience to God's ways, and to come back to him. God could have prevented Herod killing the boys, but then he would have taken away the human condition of choice. He would have gone against his own act of creation. 
But this, of course, is just one, uh, one example because Jesus warns his followers to expect opposition, warn them to expect to be treated like he had been. And we know that for many of the disciples were killed for their faith. And it's important for us to realise that if we follow Jesus and proclaim that Jesus is the only way for us to come to God, there will be opposition. It may be take the form of just disapproval or it may take the form of active persecution, which is, of course, the situation we are seeing today in countries like Egypt and Syria where Christians are facing serious persecution life-threatening situations. But even if we don't face persecution like this, we can support our brothers and sisters in prayer and bring their situation to the knowledge of our political leaders. And so, it's not an easy passage for us to read, but we can't go away from it if we are to actually accept the truth. God has a plan for salvation of all his people despite the presence of evil within the world. And God protected Jesus and the family by the obedience of Joseph. And so, let us, this as we go into 2019 this year, let's take encouragement from this. Let's be obedient to God's call upon our lives. I'd like to leave you with three applications or three points to consider as we go into the new year. I'd like to ask you the question, are we given time as Joseph Joseph heard God speak to him? And are we given time through fasting, through prayer, through Bible reading, through others, through prophetic words, to hear God speak to us this year? Are we given time for God to speak to us this year? Secondly, are we prepared to be obedient to what God calls us to do? And are we prepared to take risks for God in our lives as individuals and as a church? Our PCC this year will be looking at some issues which will require us to take risks for God this year. And then thirdly, are we expecting opposition? Because if we are preaching the gospel, if we're showing God's love for each one of us and for those outside in the community, we will receive opposition. But are we trusting also that God will be with us in these bad times ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage in Matthew's Gospel, this difficult passage where we read of the killing of the baby boys but also of the escape of your family. And we thank you for it. And we thank you, Father, that as we look towards new 2019, we can have confidence in your plan of salvation. We can have confidence that you will speak to us if we give you time to listen. And we can have confidence that you will be with us 
even if the times get bad and there is opposition to your gospel message. And so we pray, Lord, that you will bless us this year. Amen.